Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. We feel really blessed to be able to move back, uh, take our guy, and acquire a couple more picks. That's probably the biggest accomplishment. We're always trying to make this roster more and more competitive in every way we can, and these guys are coming into battle, and it's really good to do that. Our guys will all feel it. It's good, good for all of us. It makes us all better. Eleven new selections for the Seahawks in the NFL draft, and now they're moving forward into a, a little bit of an offseason, and then OTAs will be right around the corner, training camp after that. We'll see how these young guys fit in. Welcome back to the Game Plan Podcast alongside Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby as the Seahawks have themselves a busy two days after trading out of the first round, then making six selections on a Friday, five more on a Saturday. And what do we take away from the 2017 NFL draft that uh, John Schneider and Pete Carroll just put together. I got to say my first reactions will obviously delve into these picks a little bit more, but my first reaction was one of optimism with this, with this class Perkins. What about you? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it's so hard in the draft, you know, every year I try, I try to analyze it, but in the end, until you see these guys play, it's really hard to tell one way or another. I think clearly what we saw was Seattle had an emphasis on defense um, especially early in the draft. I know it ended up being like, what, uh, f- uh, six picks to five, I think, offense to defense or something like that. But either way, you could clearly tell that defensively they wanted to get some early picks uh, in, and they were able to do that. They were able to bolster up the defensive tackle position. You know, the edges are set, but you needed some more interior depth, and they were able to get that. So, uh, you know, I think it'll be fun to see uh, how these guys work in training camp. Class is going to be headlined by Malik McDowell, 6'6", 295, nose tackle out of Michigan State. Also, Shaquille Griffin, their third-round pick, 90th overall, a cornerback from uh, Central Florida. He seems to be the player with the most potential for immediate impact, given the fact that there's an obvious need at right cornerback, and he fits that profile, and he was the highest-taken draft pick at corner in the Schneider Carroll era. He, no cornerback has ever been taken as high as Shaquille Griffin was just taken at 90th overall. And so there's some expectation on him a little bit. A couple of guys out of Michigan, Delano Hill, a safety. Omari Darbo, who I'm really excited about because Darbo, he produced in college in a major conference. And one of the things I want to bring up later is how many of these guys come from big-time programs out of big-time conferences and were seniors. You know, played four years in a big-time uh, big environment and a couple of them, Hill and Darbo, were both seniors under Jim Harbaugh. Which pick excited you the most? No, um, I don't think there was one that really, you know, lit my hair on fire necessarily. But I was happy to see them get more secondary depth early because, like you said, I I was convinced that if they stayed in the first round, it's because there was a guy at corner that they would like. You know, uh, seeing as that's where the the biggest immediate need was. When they traded out, I wasn't totally sure what they would do in the second round. I still thought uh, that corner was a strong possibility, but they just don't draft defensive backs that high, uh, you know, in this era of Pete Carroll, John Schneider. So I, uh, I I don't know if there was one that necessarily blew my hair back, uh, you know, that I, I don't know if there's one that's going to have an immediate impact. There was an undrafted free agent that kind of caught my eye a little bit. Jay Keeps. No, but... <laughs> There was uh, Algie Brown out of uh, BYU. Mm. He played fullback, played running back. He's like a bruising type guy. Seattle signed him like immediately after the draft. Like they clearly wanted him ASAP. And I'm kind of excited because the running back position so up in the air and fullback as well has been tumultuous since the whole uh, Derek Coleman 
you know, driving with whatever situation that happened. So I'm kind of excited to see the type of impact he will have on the offensive side. Do you follow BYU? Well, you know, I have some ties to Utah. I do not root for BYU in any capacity, but I do watch a lot of Utah-based sports just because I have some interest there and some ties back to that region. So, yes. Okay. (laughs) I I don't follow them religiously, no pun intended, but I do pay attention to them, yes. The... The the it's 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 not insignificant that the Seahawks pick up an undrafted free agent. We see them go this route very often, and these guys making an impact. Um, Machizik made an impact last year. Troyman Pope, remember, made a preseason impact, and then uh, came back on the team at the end of the season as well. So and then got injured, unfortunately. And then it got yeah. injured. Yeah. And you're talking about a running backfield now with a pro size and a Lacey and a Rawls. What kind of room is there for an undrafted free agent? But more competition, the better. They also drafted a running back in Chris Carson with their last pick in round seven out of Oklahoma State, a guy that was hurt for most of the last year with a broken thumb, but in his junior year, he was a pretty productive back. Um, most of these guys will come from big-time programs. You talk about Malik McDowell, Michigan State, Ethan Posich. They're, uh, gosh, I still don't know if I'm saying it correctly. It might be po- <laughs> Posick, the offensive lineman out of LSU. Three-year starter, started over 37 games. Uh, Delano Hill, Michigan. Nazar Jones, the defensive tackle out of North Carolina. Darbo, Michigan. Tedrick Thompson, safety, Colorado. Mike Tyson, Cincinnati. Justin Sr., Mississippi State and Oklahoma State on the board. The only small school guy that was taken on here is, I'm going to leave Central Florida out of it because they're in the American now, is David Moore. Seventh-round pick, receiver out of East Central University. Any guesses where East Central, double-directional school is? Yeah, I was going to say, like that's like North-South uh, University. North-South University, and it's located in the Midwest, Oklahoma. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> law of averages there, right? Um, is there someone that blew your hair back? I mean, look, one guy that I, I mean, I have to say, I was joking with you on Twitter before the draft that the Seahawks would draft like a 5'9 slot receiver because yeah, that's what they saw, always do. That was great. So when they actually drafted Darbo, I... I was a little bit excited. A guy with some size. He's what about six two, six three. Yeah. Uh, he's a bigger guy. Has long arms. I was watching his highlight reel, which can make anybody look good. But wow. um, he certainly doesn't have issues catching in traffic. So I, I mean, I'm excited. I to watched see a that. lot of Michigan games this year, and he was their go-to receiver when they had to make plays on third down. And yeah. I'm a big believer in that. And, and I, I loved it. I don't know if he'll come in and have an immediate impact. I have no idea. I mean, maybe he'll be a special teams guy. You know, early on. But Seattle definitely needs someone out on the edge with a little bit of size that's consistent. And I'm not saying he's going to overtake Curse right away, but clearly they felt that there's a need there that needs to be filled. Yeah, and one thing that you want to keep in mind, round three, that is a talented, like, instant impact part of the draft. 106, especially in this draft class, I heard it over and over again, how close together the talent pool was, especially in the first 100, 115 picks. There wasn't a whole lot of difference in talent between picks 50 and picks 100. So the more picks that you could get in that area of the draft, the better you were. And that's exactly what Seattle did. They came in, obviously, with the 26th pick. Day one, they trade with Atlanta. They moved back to 31. Atlanta moves up there to take Tarek McKinley, the pass rusher out of UCLA, with a great story as well, and and bringing up the picture of his grandma and everything. That was a a really awesome moment. So he's going to be a Falcon. So the Seahawks move to 31. Then John Lynch comes calling. John Schneider messes with John Lynch a little bit. Hey, I got to go to the bathroom. Comes back 15 minutes later. They finally get the deal done. Niners move up to 31 with the with the Hawks. Hawks move out of the first round. Niners get Reuben Foster out of Alabama. 
a really real I mean I like Ruben Foster a lot so great great pick for the Niners to to be able to get him at 31 but the Seahawks move out of the first round but in doing so Perkins they add another third rounder and another six rounder they added another six rounder from Jacksonville the next day by moving one more spot back and you're talking about all these little picks that end up bringing them 11 new assets to work with. Yeah. And I, I love that philosophy and the execution. I really do. Yeah. And there's, you know, and with McDowell, what's exciting about him as well is there's a lot of belief that he would have been a very, very high pick in the draft, but the motor was, there was maybe some issues yeah. with, with some motivation and practice and things like that. Seattle gets the best out of their players, right? Like they are notorious for being able to motivate guys, being able to help, you know, these guys that might have issues with concentration or whatever, you know, take that next step at the professional level. So that's what's exciting there is you have a guy with a ton of talent and Malik McDowell that's coming in. And you talk about an immediate impact guy, Judah, if they can get him motivated and get him to that level that they expect that they can he could have a huge impact on this team next year. I mean, really. I mean, if you look at that position right now for Seattle, that one's kind of exciting as well. I mean, and, you know, obviously, you know, Pac, what have we decided? Posick? I think it's Posic. Posic. I don't, Ethan? you know, offensive lineman. Ethan. Uh, offensive line, I'll just go ahead and wait and see on every single offensive lineman they draft because they're not very, they don't have a very good history of that. Um, Shaquille Griffin is another one that can come in and I think have a, a quick impact just because the corner position right now for Seattle, you're seeing a bit of desperation uh, opposite Richard Sherman, who's not going to get traded. I will say, though, when you're talking about drafting linemen at the top of the draft, it's not that bad. I mean, it's you got you're talking about Britt. Britt's panned out. You're talking about a Fetty who's shown promise as a rookie. Unger. First round pick. Well, Unger especially. Um but that preceded that was right, yeah, the year before. Carol, yeah. Um, the the weaknesses have come more when they're trying to you know make drastic changes at the end, like Sweezy, a seventh round pick, defense to offense, Gilliam, a college tight end, right, and Fant. Um, th- those are where the weaknesses come. So I'm actually a big fan of Postage here at this position, and uh, you know he gave himself the comparison to Justin Britt as a type of player that he is. And a lot of other scouts were giving Postage the Brit comparison as well. That that makes me really excited. Think about playing in the trenches in the SEC for three years at center, guard, and tackle. That's that's great experience. It feels like he's going to end up, if I was a guessing man, which I am, right guard. I, I think yeah. that this shows that that they want to move a Fetty to right tackle. Yep. He's gonna play right guard in theory. Yep. Uh there's be some competition there. You have your boy Britt in the middle. Glow or whoever at left guard and then left tackle uh, will be Jokel. So Jokel or the uh, other guy that they signed in free agency. I can't remember his name, but but he's a serviceable lineman as well. Might feel, be able to get on the left side. So it, it does feel a little bit, at the very least, if we talk, you know, last year offensive line was so tumultuous. Yeah. It does feel a little bit like at least this time around, there's a, a bit more of a, a clarity when it comes to maybe roles of these guys. You know, with the Fetty coming in, they didn't know where he was going to play. Fancy, you had no, you had no idea, pretty much where any, even Britt at that time, they had no idea he was going to be center. Yeah, you know, so it, there's more clarity to the O line. That's good. You know, we're the home of the Ducks here, but it reminds me of Oregon's defense last year. The Oregon defense, the Seahawks offensive line, you can't get really much worse than what what it looked like. So, any improvement's going to be visible improvement. I, I, part of me thinks that the jump that Seattle can make strictly from the personnel that they signed from last year to this year. If that all pans out, even to an average level, 
this team is going to be so much more improved than they were a season ago because the offensive line goes from a severe handicap to something that can actually bail water out as it comes in. Does that make sense? Does completely. And before we leave the offensive line, though, they also pick Justin Sr. out of Mississippi State, yet another three-year starter at an SEC school out of the sixth round, 210 overall. He's from Montreal, Quebec. He grew up a Seahawk fan in the Canada area and played 38 games at right tackle. So there you go. Even more competition at a potential right tackle spot. So Posich, Senior, Effetti, all these guys going to try to come in and compete with each other. I think Posich projects at the right guard pretty easily. And yeah. you mentioned Effetti to right tackle. I think that's the clarity, though, that you were mentioning, the, the kind of intent, the purpose that we all were begging to see so much on that Seahawks offensive line that was so ambiguous a season ago, and it yeah, hurt him. Yeah, you had no idea going into training camp what anyone's role was, and at least it, it looks like you have. You know, Jokel is in a. You know, this is a big year for him for his career. Yeah, this one, is a one-year deal. Yeah, this is a big prove-it type of season for him that Seattle's hoping to capitalize on. I think the Effetti move to right tackle uh, is going to happen, and I think it's going to be uh, pretty big for this team. I just don't think he was very well suited for guard. I just I think that he's going to fit better on the outside. So I'm kind of excited to see what the offensive line will turn into, but it feels like you at least on the surface know more what you're going to see, which is exciting. There was a chance that the Seahawks could have gone offensive line with their first pick there. Forrest Lamp out of Western Kentucky was still on the board at that time. Um, but they decided not to. So Shield Kapati of ESPN.com, I think, posed a question, and fairly so. Look, it's worth to at least ask the question, why do you pass on a guy like Forrest Lamp that was pretty much a plug-and-play guard at that point out of Western Kentucky, one of the better offensive linemen in this draft, still on the board there with the second pick of the second round. You pass on him, you end up going defensive tackle instead to add more depth in there. But Seattle, obviously, uh, they had a different plan in place and ended up going with postage there in the second. Yeah, Later you know, on. to me, I got to say, like, tr- I will never get mad at them for trading out of the first round. Ex- with the exception of last year, I felt like because there was depth in, in the offense. Last year, offensive line depth was big. Like, you could get a very good offensive lineman, you know, where they were selecting. Mm-hmm. And I felt like they had to make that decision. But, look, not drafting in the first round has worked out for Seattle pretty well in the no, past No, no, trading years, was so. great. But even early in the second, they had... Lamp oh, on the yeah, board, yeah. And then where they, they were picking, and, then and they, they just didn't pick him. Yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. So, Sorry. yeah. It's just a choice they made. Now, that being said, Malik McDowell, more of the pass rushing type of interior D lineman, a kind of almost, um, I would, I wanted to say Tony McDaniel, but even McDaniel could stuff the run a little bit, but almost McDaniel esque. 6'6, six, six, pretty tall, 295. So he can play in packages alongside Averill, Bennett, and Clark on third down packages to rush the passer. And, he can be really effective doing that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch because last season, the pass rush struggled a little bit at times. Uh, you know, th- that was a real problem for them, and it it left the secondary exposed a little bit. So I'll, I'll be interested to see. And, and then having a guy like him, you know, it felt like last year Bobby Wagner was rushing more, right? Like like blitzing a yeah. little bit more. Yeah. You know, does this help alleviate some of those blitzes? Oh, and Wagner's good at it. Don't get me wrong. And yeah, another, but when you partner you know, that with inexperience at the back end, whether it was McRae or Terrell, it just leaves you more and more exposed if you have to bring guys like Wagner up on the blitz. Exactly. So, I mean, does this kind of help alleviate some of that situation? You know, Seattle was not known for blitzing very often. Yeah. Uh, before last season, so I think that they're going to try to go back to those roots this year. I just love the fact they had four third-round picks. I mean, you find so much good talent in any draft in the third round. 
that's on the cheap, and especially in this draft where the parity of talent was so evident from picks, like I mentioned, 50 through 110, and they just nailed it here. I was, I was so fired up before we leave the defensive tackle position. One of the guys I'm fired up about is Nazair Jones from North Carolina. I haven't even mentioned him yet. Yep. He is the run-stuffing defensive tackle. At least that's his, his most gifted asset, whereas McDowell can get after the passer. Jones... He had uh, 70 tackles in his career, nine and a half for a loss, actually just last season alone, 6'5", 304, but run stuffing is more of his forte when it comes to playing the nose tackle position. And this is a guy, think about what he's had to overcome. Have you heard the story on Nazir Jones? What He had a disease in high school, complex regional pain syndrome, and he lost 40 pounds because of it, had to relearn how to walk his junior year of high school before he even thought about returning to the football field. He did return to walk. He did overcome that syndrome. And while he was in college at North Carolina playing football, he started a nonprofit called Made Men Mentoring, mentoring program for high school youth. I mean, it's that, incredible. That's incredible. What's, what's this, my excuse for not going to the gym? Oh, I'm tired. There's no excuse. This guy like learned to walk again. And yeah. it, it's consistent with the theme of, of John Schneider and Pete Carroll wanting to take guys with either with with something extra that they've already overcome because they they now mentally they're mature enough to know what it's like to overcome trial and tribulation because that's inevitable in the NFL and now you're taking a bunch of mature guys that have gone through something in their lives in their career before it's some different than others and that one from Nazir Jones just really stood out to me I was going to say you mentioned I have a couple couple last things about the draft you mentioned that most of these players were seniors or, you know, yeah. we're, we're in the programs for three or four years. Played for three, probably in for four, including yeah. red shirts. Defensive line is so hard to find guys that are NFL ready right away. Like, usually there's a lot of really just raw talent there, and it takes more time to develop. And you saw Seattle early in that era bring in guys like Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett instead of trying to, you know, grow through the draft. Mm-hmm. Now they're bringing in seniors. They're bringing in guys that have, you know, played a little bit longer. They're a little bit older, a little bit more mature, because I think that... Seattle understands, you know, the front office understands that this is their window right now and they need to win now. Yeah, you need to have young talent that you can cultivate and grow, but you need to have young talent that can come in immediately and have an impact. And I think that's what they were gunning for here. And last thought, the Seahawks had a chance to own Friday in the draft, right? They had a chance to, based on the way things set up with how they traded out of the first round, Friday was going to be their day. And damn it, they did it. I mean, they really owned that day. They trade back one more time, right, to fall back one more pick. They fill every single need that they had. Now, are all these guys going to pan out? We don't know. But, like, if you looked at glaring issues for Seattle, offensive line, defensive backs, especially with aging safeties and, you know, the opposite Richard Sherman really looking thin right now, and then defensive line. You know, some issues there last year. They filled all of those needs on Friday with early, you know, early round picks. Really impressive. With, I mean, with I, old experienced guys that yeah. play in big time programs and big time conferences. I mean, who knows if who knows who's going to turn out and who knows what's going to happen. But on the surface, Seattle did exactly what you wanted them to that, do. That's why I'm fired up. And a guy like Shaquille Griffin. And, and the one point I we have to make is how many defensive backs they drafted. Yeah, Griffin Hill, Ta- Tedrick Thompson, who broke down when he got the phone call from Josh Schneider and Pete Carroll out of Colorado. Comes from a pretty good defensive system up there north in Colorado. Yeah, and Jim Levitt had the best defense in the Pac-12 last year and then ends up jumping for the Ducks job. Technically not north. (laughs) Tedrick Thompson. What's that? I said he got some talent up north, but really more like just straight east from us. Right, right. Mike Tyson, the free safety out of Cincinnati. Um, These guys, Griffin, Shaquille Griffin, the corner from UCF, he's got an identical twin brother. 
who had his hand amputated when he was four years old and still played college football at UCF with Shaquille. That's overcoming some adversity, too. Both of those guys playing you're, for you're one You're fired another. up today. I like it. I love this. I love... Th- I, because, listen, if you try to put yourself... Like, me and you, we, we talk about it, but we're pretty far removed from any experience of what it's like to play in the NFL. But if you can, like, just take a moment to try to picture in your head what it would be like to actually try to play and succeed in the NFL and how much adversity comes your way in practice or in the locker room or moments where you have to really, you have to grow so much physically and emotionally and mentally from college to the NFL. One way to help you grow is if you've already experienced what it's like to overcome some pain and overcome some adversity beforehand. Nasir Jones has done that. So he knows mentally what it's like to overcome adversity. So he's it's going to make it so much easier for him when he experiences adversity in the NFL. Same thing for Shaquille Griffin. Same thing for Mike Tyson, who's got a three-year-old son. Justin Britt was a new father when he was drafted. I mean, it might sound a little bit petty. I think those real-life experiences do help the mental maturity of a player, especially if they're making a jump into a profession as demanding and as intense as playing pro football. I mean, maybe it's just me. Maybe and it's you're going the to more a, spiritual side of me, but I, I truly believe that. And you're going to a team that has a lot of attitudes, a lot of personality, a lot of spotlight. A lot of positive and thinking. And a lot, yes, but but and a lot of pressure, really, to win right now. Yeah. So having guys with, with mental fortitude, I think, is really important because you're going to have that pressure immediately when you get into Seattle to win and to perform at a high level. And from the defensive back position, um, Griffin, probably the guy that's clearest cut to to be at right corner. I don't want to see Jeremy Lane there. I want Lane to stay in the nickel. Um, but even Tyson, who played free safety at Cincinnati, a hard hitter, he's already said, hey, the Seahawks have talked to me about competing at cornerback. All right, we'll put Tyson there. Delano Hill, safety out of Michigan. He's going to also compete at cornerback. Um, Tedrick well, Thompson, safety at Colorado, he'll probably stay more more there. He was a strong safety playing in the box a little bit more. But what I mean is they're, they're still taking guys, even if they've profiled at safety coming out into the draft, they're going to get their shots competing at cornerback as well. Well, I think it speaks a little bit, too. You have Earl Thomas coming off the injury. Mm-hmm. Cam Chancellor, um, while still plays at a, at a high level when he's in the game, is going to miss games probably next season, right? Yeah. I mean, just based on his history and right. the way that he plays. So clearly they're trying to fill a bit of a void, too, in terms of depth in well, uh, the safety backfield. And so. don't forget that they signed Bradley McDougal from Tampa yeah. Bay in free oh, yeah. agency That's as right. well. So yep. they are definitely targeting that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really fired up. I felt I feel really – I mean, you're right. We don't know how these guys are, are going to pan out. But on the surface, but the amount of second and third round picks that they got, and I truly believe that's where you find your cheap talent right there. Yeah. First round picks are overrated. Third round picks are vastly underrated. And they got four great ones to go along with some two strong second round picks and some great value guys in, in the sixth as well. You I, look at Seattle's history in the great. second and third round, and that's where they've made hay. Yeah. I mean, for years. Yep. Um, Chad Reuter of NFL.com gave him an A minus. Pete Prisco will be plus. Mel Kuyper is C plus. But did Pete Prisco call their draft elite? Uh, no, definitely. Did, <laughs> he called their draft a little too short to he, see over the pocket. Uh, okay, gotcha. He, <laughs> he compared their draft to Russell Wilson. Uh, Chris Burke, Sports Illustrated, and Doug Farrar, Bleach Report, both gave him a B, and uh, Keith Davis, USA Today, gave him a B minus. So mostly things around a B or, or higher. But all the guys that I've referred to, Daniel Jeremiah, Bill Barnwell, they were they love the fact that Schneider kept on trading down and, and acquiring as many assets in the second and third round as possible. Did Seattle? Did Russell? Did Sierra give birth during the draft? 
Wow, I don't know. I think it was before, wasn't it? Wasn't okay. it last week? I see. I thought because he like made the announcement on Twitter on Friday while the oh. draft was going on, and so I was like, "Wait a minute! Did Russell Wilson third round draft pick uh, bring his child into the world during the third round of the NFL draft?" Let's see. They welcomed them on Friday. Sienna Princess Wilson, seven pounds and thirteen ounces, born at seven o three p.m. on Friday. So yeah. During the end of the second round of the draft. There you go. Future second round pick, Sienna Princess Wilson. <laughs> wow, so Russell is now a uh, a father of one of Sierra's children. Interesting. All right, uh, got to mention that. <laughs> Interesting, I <laughs> guess mention, so. Well, well, like, you act like you're surprised, like, oh, she gave birth, huh? No, ah, no, no. It's, see just that coming. That, it's just that I remember, so Future and Sierra had a kid, right? And then... They broke up, and then mm-hmm. Future's from Atlanta, and every time Russell would go back to Atlanta, Future would show up to the game, and like all the Falcon fans were throwing yeah. the Future memes at him and all that. And, yeah. Okay, finally, Russell's got a kid of his own now, so everybody shut up. Though I think he's taken in, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, he's become a father figure to, to the, her other, to her son. I believe that is correct. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean. At least the pictures would verify, or yeah. would, uh, would lead you to believe that. Um, I'm out of my comfort zone talking about that. Let's go to the schedule, shall we? <laughs> We haven't talked about this. Preseason, though, they get the Chargers, Vikings, and Chiefs. Week one at Green Bay, Lambeau Field. Kind of nice to play it. If you have to play at Green Bay, remember last year it was in December in the snow. Got trashed. A couple years ago, they played them week two, I think, on Sunday Night Football, out in Green Bay. Lost that game by 10 points. And And then the year before, they opened the season against them. All right. And and won. Beat them 36-16, and now... They get to visit them week one of the season. They played in 2012 in Seattle, too. I can't remember what happened in that one. But. No idea. It's not very memorable. Yeah. One. God, they play, they play every year. Some great games. <laughs> to start the season, look, I mean, that's not... I, I mean, look, you're, you have a good chance of taking an L there to start the year. Yeah, but Seattle's sure. schedule lines up pretty well for them for the rest of the year. So Home to the Niners after that at the Titans. Very excited about that one. I might think about going to that Yeah, one. but guess what time that game is? It's late. Yeah. It's a late game. It's on Fox, but it's a late game. Yeah. And I think that's smart. I mean, that's a that's going to be a good one. Titans keep improving. Keep imp- they're going to be a good team. As you go over the schedule, the biggest factor here in this in this is a the, now that the Rams are in LA and this is a big reason for that. Seattle has one 10 a.m. game. One. Is that at Jacksonville? Yes, and it's the Jaguars. Week 14 <laughs> in December. That's beautiful. You're traveling to freaking Florida in December. To play a team that's probably going to be bad. I mean, we're going to the Super Bowl this year. Well, I mean, I think that their schedule is very, very favorable this year for a team that finished first place. Yeah, playing a first place schedule, one ten a.m. start. Like you have to feel pretty good right now if you're Seattle. You have to be happy about best schedule I've ever seen them have. Yeah, and their bye week is what week six, week six, and not a single consecutive games on the road. Like week week five, they're on the road in L.A. And week seven, they're on the road in New York, but they've got to buy week six. So they don't ever have consecutive road games. And then they have their their Thursday night game. They have the Colts on a Sunday night football at home. They've got Thursday night at Arizona week 10, but you're right. Your point was going to be they're followed up by a Monday nighter against at, a, off the Thursday night, so they a, get extra rest. And it's against Atlanta, Atlanta at home. At home. So they're... Atlanta's probably, at least on paper, and, and the NFL's so fickle that you never know who's going to be good year and year out, it feels like. But Atlanta looks like one of the best teams they'll play this year, correct? Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, no doubt. And they get 
an extra, they get what, 11 days rest going into that game at home in prime time? Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, things set up pretty nice for them this year. It's crazy. They also going to have Sunday night football versus Philly. They get to be at Dallas on Christmas Eve on week 16. That's a tough game. Yeah, but indoors. Christmas Eve, that's going to be fun. Um, Yeah. They're playing the AFC South, which they did again four years ago. So Houston and Indy can come to Seattle this time, and Seattle has to go to Jacksonville and Tennessee. You know, Seattle is not the the 2013 Seahawks. You know, they're not a team that's that on paper is easily the best in the NFL. But I think the expectation based on this schedule should be you're winning at least 11 games. I at do, least at, at least. I mean, I I would think that 13 and three is a reasonable expectation this year. I gotta I gotta find what the it, I don't think they posted win totals yet, but. Once they post win totals, I'm taking the over right now on Seahawk victories. <laughs> well, and and the, I mean it's and it's saying that they'll have one of the best records in the NFC is not saying they're the best team in the NFC. But the way the schedule lines up for them, you know, the, on paper they should be able to do pretty well. Yep, yep. You little know? things matter, and this is one of those little things that breaks in their favor. Yeah, I mean the NFL about time. <laughs> the NFL is built on parity. You know, you're yeah. first, you're first place team. You're playing a tough schedule. That didn't happen this year. I don't know why, but it didn't happen. I mean, Seattle's really been a beneficiary this season. Anything else? <clears throat> Anything from the draft elsewhere outside of Seattle I know that stuck f- out to you? Fans were a little miffed about uh, only getting what a would they get a fifth rounder for Marshawn? Is that what they yeah, got? Yeah, the they got a conditional fifth, and they yeah. they traded a sixth, something like that. Mm-hmm. But what I mean, look, Lynch had all the cards. Like, there's nothing. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised they even traded him. I figured they would just release him. So. I, I don't know your thoughts. I'm happy for him. Yeah, Go, but I think you if know. you release him, there would be a cap hit of some sort because he's back on your books. Yeah, but I think there's a and, way to get around it. I think there's a way to like buy it out or something. There was some some way that like the Raiders could help mitigate that cost or something like that. Sure. But either way, I'm glad you know, they finally got it done. I, I hope mean, he runs for a thousand yards this year. That'd I be do. Great. I wish him awesome. all the success in the world. I yeah. don't understand any animosity toward Beast. It mode. doesn't like, feel like there's a lot of animosity. There's some people that are bitter. I think a little bit, but I want him to get in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's what I want. And he needs more yards to do that. I think. Yeah. So, and I'm only excited. The Raiders two more years in Oakland. Let's let those be two great Beast mode years and get him to playoffs. Maybe the Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm excited to see what he can do. You what know? if the Raiders and Seahawks met in the Super Bowl? That could actually happen. That'd be great. I mean, I would yeah. root against him at that point, but how cool would that be? If the Raiders are on the one-yard line, what happens? That's the real question. <laughs> yep. Too got, soon. Got to bring back Super Bowl Forty Nine every podcast. It's good to be back on the pod. We're going to peace now. Draft Talk, Brian Perkins, Jr. Newby, Game Plan Podcast, 1029thegame.com.